Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Poet, playwright, Logan native, USU alumna Mae Swenson would have been 100 this year. USU scholars have organized a centennial celebration, including readings by a Prairie Home Companion host Garrison Keeler and former Utah Poet Laureate, current University of Utah English professor Catherine Coles. That's on April 25th. There's a, an event today as well. We'll give you details as we go along. So we're going to celebrate the life and poetry of Mae Swenson on Access Utah today with Catherine Coles and USU English professor Paul Crumbly. We'll also be talking with three Pocatello poets who've written in response to Swenson's work, Susan Gosley, Jen Hawkins, Bethany Schultz-Hurst. And they'll be featured in a reading at noon today on the USU Merrill Kazir Library Room 101. And in the second half today, Catherine Cole stays with us to read from and talk about her new collection, The Earth is Not Flat, which comes from her recent adventure in Antarctica. So we welcome uh, by telephone Catherine Coles. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Tom. Good morning. And we have uh, with us in studio these uh, three poets from uh, Idaho, Susan Gosley, assistant professor at Idaho State University. And I understand, uh, Susan, former student of Catherine Coles. Yes, Kate was one of my professors. Well, good. A reunion on air here. <laughs> uh, Bethany Schultz-Hurst, also assistant professor of uh, English at Idaho State University. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Jen Hawkins is a graduate of Idaho State University. Yes, hi. Pocatello a resident, and uh, Paul Crumbly is professor of English at uh, Utah State University. Good morning. <laughs> Let me start with you, Professor Crumbly. What, what's all the shouting about? What situate uh, Mae Swenson uh, for us? We, we know she's prominent, celebrated poet and playwright, and of course uh, we claim her as our own here in Utah, Logan uh, native. Uh, maybe you could situate Mae Swenson. Well, the reason we're celebrating her... Um, maybe that's a good place to begin. Yes. Uh, it turns out that probably, if it hasn't already happened, within the next few weeks, the Library of America is going to bring out a collection of Mae Swenson poems. And this is a very prestigious uh, acknowledgement of her achievement as a poet. And I think it marks a great step forward in public appreciation for Swenson because this will be the first time that all of her poems have been collected in a single volume. Um, so that just happens to fall on the centennial year, and we're delighted to have that. We celebrate her at, at Utah State because she's a graduate of the university who went on to achieve great things. Um, we celebrate her in the College of Humanities and Social Sciences because Utah State University is known as the Agricultural College for its engineering and for its accomplishments with science and with the Space Dynamic Lab and so on. So it's really good to be able to celebrate the achievements of someone in humanities someone who worked um, in the arts. Uh, and that helps us, I think, as a university, define ourselves in the public eye, not only as an agricultural school, but as a university where students can get a very fine education in the humanities. Uh, as far as her achievement as a poet, um, over the course of her life, she published some 11 volumes of poetry. She covered many different subjects. Um, she's famous for her poems about uh, nature and the natural world. She's also famous for her poems about uh, love uh, and romance. But she also published poems about science and sports, was interested in technology. Um, and while she was here in 1987 receiving an honorary doctorate, she was notified by the MacArthur Foundation that she'd just been granted a MacArthur Genius Grant, which is a huge accomplishment, uh, and that she was able to accept that award in the presence of her family and at her alma mater made it all the better. So we have lots of things to celebrate uh, with Mae Swenson. Uh, within the poetry community, she was very widely respected and very widely known. The last nine years of her life, she was a chancellor for the Academy of American Poets um, in New York City. She was uh, friends with a wide range of, of poets, uh, John, John Hollander, uh, Richard Wilbur, very close to uh, Elizabeth Bishop, knew Sylvia Plath, um, Muriel Rukeyser. She uh, was close to Alicia Ostreicher. Um, so she was a well-known poet. She was well-positioned. She was very successful, and she came from Utah State. That's right. That's right. We're very proud of, proud of that. Let me turn to uh, Catherine Coles. You uh, have agreed to come and do this event with uh, Garrison Keeler, reading the poetry of, of uh, Mae Swenson. This is on April 25th. Let me give details on this. Uh, that will be at Utah State University in the Morgan Theater of the USU um, uh, Fine Arts Center, Chase Fine Arts Center, uh, 7 p.m. 
on April 25th, which is a Thursday, I believe. But uh, you need to uh, get uh, vouchers for seats. Seats are free, but you need to get vouchers. And to do that, you go to the box office in the Chase Fine Arts Center, room 139B. So, Catherine Coles, uh, you told me you've been diving in back into the poetry of uh, Mae Swenson. Um, And what are your impressions? Well, it has been such a pleasure to be doing that. And, in fact, I can vouch for the fact that the Library of America um, Complete Pumps is out. And so instead of... um, uh, diving into my own old raggedy dropped in the bathtub with coffee rings on them, uh, additions that I've been accumulating since I was in uh, an undergraduate at the University of Washington. Um, I have been breaking the binding and um, violating this beautiful brand new book <laughs> um, and putting little stickers on the pumps that I love. And I've known her work for. For many, many years, I was born and raised in in Utah myself, and so I've been aware of her work since I was in high school, probably. Um, but having the entire body of work in front of me in one volume and being able not only to plow right through in the order in which the poems were originally published, but also then to leaf back and forth and look at the first published poem next to one of the last published poems or one of the uncollected poems, um, really, for me, has been deepening my sense of the work and her accomplishment. I wonder if you uh, have her poems in, in front of you. You could read us one, perhaps. I would be delighted. Uh, so this is a, a famous poem and also, I think, um, one that really... Uh, encapsulates a lot of the things that are so wonderful about her. It's called Question. Body, my house, my horse, my hound, what will I do when you are fallen? Where will I sleep? How will I ride? What will I hunt? Where can I go without my mount, all eager and quick? How will I know in thicket ahead is danger or treasure? When my body, my good, bright dog, is dead? How will it be to lie in the sky without roof or door and wind for an eye? With cloud for shift, how will I hide? What was that called again? Question. Question. Paul Crumpley, you mentioned some of the themes in Mae Swenson's uh, poetry. Maybe reiterate that. She wrote um, an unusually broad spectrum of of subject matter. And uh, I did mention uh, science. Uh, She did poems on moon landings, uh, for instance, was very interested in astronauts and space travel. But one of her most widely um, anthologized poems is about baseball. It's called Analysis of of Baseball. Um, Two posthumous volumes of love poems, um, were published, and those are very popular. Um, she's very famous for writing poems about nature. Um, what I didn't say was that she's also well-known as a kind of a happy poet. Um, I don't mean to say a superficial uh, poet, but a healthy poet, a poet who consistently finds ways to celebrate life. And I think she believed that any object in the world, any experience was available for poetic treatment. And uh, not only was it available for poetry, but poetry itself was a kind of celebration of mm-hmm. life. So a lot of her work has a kind of playful uh, quality um, that makes it a sort of unique and distinctive as well. Mm-hmm. Catherine Cole's uh, Themes of Nature and Science, that reminds me a bit of your, your poems. <laughs> so there'd be a connection. Yes, and you know one of the real joys of of coming back to the work all at once is feeling those affinities and their ties um, tightening around us. And um, I was really I had forgotten actually about the body of work about the moon landings that she has not only the moon landings but other space expeditions as well. She was completely fascinated with our forays out into. Uh, the larger solar system. She has a really moving, long, long poem um, that has different um, different departures of the space shuttle, including the departure of the Challenger and the catastrophe that that happened there. So, um, 
you know, for me to be encountering, well, I think all poets are interested in the stars and in the universe, but the thing about Swenson is that she really um, honored the engineering and technical achievements that the space program made in bringing us closer to those bodies that we see glowing in the sky. We are uh, talking with uh, Catherine Coles. You heard her right there. She's a former Utah Poet Laureate, current uh, University of Utah professor of uh, an English department. We have Paul Crumbly with us, USU English professor. We have three poets from Pocatello. We're going to be hearing from them uh, following a brief break. Uh, they have written a response to Mae Swenson, so we'll hear in each case uh, a Mae Swenson poem and then their response. And uh, they are Susan Gosley, Bethany Schultz-Hurst, and Jen Hawkins, and they'll be giving an event as part of the Mae Swenson Centennial at Utah State University. Their reading is noon today the USU Merrill Kazir Library Room 101, and that's free and open to the public. On April 25th, the concluding event in this centennial uh, celebration uh, readings of May Swenson poetry by Per Home Companion host Garrison Keeler and former uh, Utah Poet Laureate uh, Catherine Coles. That's April 25th, 7 p.m., Morgan Theater of the USU Chase Fine Arts Center. The reading is free, but seating vouchers are required, and they're available in the uh, Kane College of the Arts box office. That's in the Fine Arts Center, room 139B, back after a brief break. Support for Utah Public Radio comes from the Utah Humanities Council, empowering Utahns to improve their communities through the humanities. Online at utahhumanities.org. Waste not. Install a rain sensor on your irrigation controller so your system won't run when it's raining. Also, install water-wise fixtures and appliances. Waste Not is made possible by the Logan City Public Works Water Conservation Department. Information at loganutah.org slash publicworks. We're keeping it surreal on to the best of our knowledge with a hallucinatory vortex chock full of innovative fiction. Like Salvador Dali said, surrealism is destructive, but it destroys only what it considers to be shackles limiting our vision. I'm Jim Fleming. Join us as we expand your vision and melt your mind on to the best of our knowledge from PRI, Public Radio International. Sunday mornings at 9 on Utah Public Radio. You're listening to Access Utah. We are celebrating the life and poetry of Logan native USU alumna Mae Swenson, who would have been 100 this year. And USU scholars have organized a centennial celebration. That includes uh, an event which uh, will feature readings of Mae Swenson poetry by Prairie Home Companion host Garrison Keeler and former Utah Poet Laureate Catherine Coles. That's April 25th, 7 p.m. in the Morgan Theater of the USU Chase Fine Arts Center. The reading is free, but seating, seating vouchers are required, and uh, you'll want to get those early. Uh, this event will probably uh, sell out, as it were. It's free, but uh, the, those will be secured early. So you go to the um, box office at the USU Kane College of the Arts in the Fine Arts Center, room 139B, to get a seating voucher. And uh, another event is today. And uh, we have with us in studio Susan Gosley, Bethany Schultz-Hurst, and Jen Hawkins from Pocatello. And they are uh, they have done uh, poetry in response to Mae Swenson's poems. We're about to hear those. And you can hear more of that in a reading today at noon um, in the USU Merrill Kazir Library, Room 101. That event is free and open to the public. We have a, a, with us on the line Catherine Coles in studio. Um, it's uh, USU English professor Paul Crumbly. Let's start uh, with some of this response to Mae Swenson with Susan Gosley, again, assistant professor at Idaho State University. So I, I think first you're going to read us a, a Mae Swenson poem and then your response to that. Yes, that's right. This is Swenson's Teddy's Bears. Skins on the floor, skins flung on the chairs, and stretched on the walls of nearly every room. Along with trophy heads of buffalo, moose, and deer, tusks and toothy snarls of lioness and tiger. But most of all, bears. Great and small furs, belly down, flat on the floor, teeth and claws real, fully dimensional, as if clicking. By the bed, this head a lump with leather nose, garnet eyes, jaws open, saber canines exposed. And the rug in the gunroom on the third floor is the biggest bear you've ever seen. Hod-sized head with the round ears nearly worn away, 
wide, gold-brown body. Down the hall, across the railing of a doorway where the plaque says playroom, are three teddy bears, small, medium, and large, at tea around a table with an elaborately gowned cloth lady doll and her china baby. A fourth plump teddy forks a rocking horse in the corner. Descending the stairs, you can't help but pause and fix on the large portrait, life-sized, that's hung in the stairwell, poised rampant, the tanned rough rider, wide-cuffed gloved hands pressed on the hilt of his sword, squared head on short neck, chin raised, eyes piercing, rimless spectacles, lips under shaggy mustache in a stern but amiable smile, the actual Teddy himself. This poem by Swenson describes terrifying and cuddly stuffed animals in a home also featuring a portrait of Theodore Roosevelt. Maybe it's even his house. The teddy bear, as we know it today, is named after Roosevelt, who was both an avid hunter and conservationist. The poem wonderfully captures an aspect of human-beast relations that I've been studying. Researchers in animal studies explain that people want it both ways. Tigers, for example, should be wild and different so that we can admire their fierceness, but they should also be our protectors, our friends, like us. We want to absorb a bear's ferocity for our own and also be comforted by it. So the bears in Swenson's poem are totems, are trophies meant to represent that we can master the wild, and are signs that we like to be reassured, if not even snuggled. I came to this topic through an incident near where I now live. In 1995, a private game park in southeastern Idaho gained national notoriety when 15 of its lions and ligers, those are lion-tiger hybrids, escaped into the nearby town of Lava Hot Springs. And while this Liger Town catastrophe was certainly spectacular, I see it as merely an extreme case of human tampering with wild animals. And in Western culture, this fascination is fueled especially by poems and tales of savage beasts or friendly giants, from Daniel in the Lion's Den to the Jungle Book to even X-Men's Wolverine. So my objective then is to respond also by means of literature. Over the course of several lyric poems, I use Ligertown and the Terza Rima verse form to explore humans' contradictory responses to these fierce but mute creatures. So this poem of mine that I'm going to read is from the Ligertown series and is, was triggered by one of the pictures in the files from the court case after Ligertown. And this poem is called State's Evidence Number 13, Photograph of Lion 9. Goldenrod lines the creek like torches light the road up to a garrison. Narrow banks shortbread the lion's spine and chest, but his red-gold mane floats out like Ophelia model's hair. Bathtub water was freezing. One giant paw propped on other, he's posed on his side. Some rulers have felt under siege. Light sheds in clumps till it clogs the camera's drain. Viewfinder molts. Colors are legion. One time I stared, kneeled to the bulk bin of circus cookies at Winco. Pale figures of elephants, tigers, camels have their tops iced pink or white with royal blue sprinkles. They don't make boar, hedgehog, deer. These only balk in the ring. Damp makes tawny lion dark. Bullet hole must be snug to creek bottom. The sweet grass, though, ballets in sleek green, twirls out the frame. Frontiers don't trouble pleasure. Ignore what's at the gates. Hmm. That's uh, Susan Gosley from uh, Idaho State University. That's from your series Liger? Ligertown. Ligertown. I remember that case. Yeah. I remember when those ligers uh, escaped. That, <laughs> that's Susan Gosley's response to, to Mae Swenson's uh, poetry. We're going to be hearing Bethany Schultz-Hurst and uh, Jen Hawkins as well, their response to, to Mae Swenson. Uh, Paul Crumbly, I wonder, uh, this can be an especially, especially fruitful way to respond. Can it? You, you, you respond with your own literature to, to that which you're reading. 
Yeah, I think uh, what we just heard, though, to be honest, is far more interesting than what I generally produce. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have a Liger series of of your own. I can loan you some Ligers. (laughs) Uh, Catherine Coles, um, uh, the same question to you, and we'll talk as as we uh, get into the, the second half of the program, talk about The Earth is Not Flat. But your connection to to Swenson, but I wonder any other poets, especially influential on on you, that, that maybe you have responded to. Um, any other poets who yeah, are yes. influential on me? Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting because I think that uh, many of the poets that Swenson was in conversation with during her lifetime are among the poets that I consider to be especially influential. And the first one of those poets is dead, but poets are in conversation with each other, whether um, they're dead or alive. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that would be Emily Dickinson. Um, I think that it's easy, easy to see the influence of Dickinson on Swenson's line, on her tone, on the way in which she engages the world and perception. And Dickinson is also a poet that I return to over and over again. Um, Professor Crumbly also mentioned already Elizabeth Bishop, who was a good friend of Swenson's, but also I think they influenced each other very heavily. And I was particularly noticing over the weekend the ways in which the surfaces of Swenson's poems are so precisely uh, created and um, densely created. It's actually really hard to find your way in beyond the surface which is made of perceptions and representations of perceptions, it's hard to find your way into something like a personal life. And both Bishop and Swenson, especially in Swenson's case with the poems that she published during her lifetime, those dense surfaces are not only revealing of a kind of penetrating mind, but also concealing of a personal life that neither one of them necessarily wanted to share with with the world at large during their lifetimes, and and I sympathize with that. Mm-hmm. I guess that that is a, a kind of a tension that any writer has to has to deal with. Yeah, it's, I think that's right. Is you know, what are the poems really about? Are the poems really about about me and my particularly my autobiography, or are they about? me in the way that my mind is engaging perceptually with the world. And I think that both Bishop and Swenson tend to err, if you would call it an error, on the side of perception with the world. And I would say that Susan's wonderful poem moves in that same direction. Mm. We're talking with uh, Catherine Coles and with uh, Paul Crumley, also Susan Gosley, Bethany Schultz-Hurst, and Jen Hawkins. We're celebrating the life and poetry of Mae Swenson. In the second half of the program, we're going to uh, transition to talking about The Earth is Not Flat, latest collection from Catherine Coles. By the way, the phone lines are open. If you have a favorite Mae Swenson poem or would like to respond here, you can do that at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, or you can go to UPR, upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at uh, gmail.com. By the way, um, this conversation among living poets or living with dead or, or whatever it might be, apparently at some point, you three poets from Pocatello start engaging this sort of conversation about your conversations individually with Mae Swenson. How did that happen? Was this a conscious thing, or did you all three separately uh, have this conversation going with Mae Swenson and found that out, out about each other? There was a run on the library books first <laughs> of Mae Swenson, and then we did share with each other kind of which poems we'd be talking about today. And and how did this all start? Did you individually uh, start doing this, or was this for this project? It was started by invitation. Okay. Um, so I'm I'm really glad I had that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. To get to know our work more. Let's turn uh, next to Bethany Schultz-Hurst, who's assistant professor at Idaho State University, uh, going to give us a Mae Swenson poem, then your response, right? That's right. I'd like to read um, the first stanza from Swenson's poem, That the Soul May Wax Plump. My dumpy little mother on the undertaker's slab had a mannequin's grace. From chin to foot, the sheet outlined her, thin and tall, Her face up-tilted, bloodless, smooth, had a long smile. Her head rested on a block under her nape. Her neck was long, her hair waved, upswept. But later, at the viewing, sunk in the casket in pink tulle, 
an expensive present that might spoil, dressed in Eden's green apron, organdy bonnet on. She shrank, grew short again, and yellow. Who put the gold-rimmed glasses on her shut face? Who laid her left hand with the wedding ring on her stomach that didn't really seem to be there under the fake lace? Um, I was drawn to this poem because there are a few themes and um, images, recurrent images, that I'm interested in my own work as well. And the first thing is the um, domestic life, which um, I didn't see a whole lot of Swenson poems centering on the domestic. But this one in particular is focusing on the mother-daughter relationship, which I'm interested in too. And I'm also fascinated with clothing, how people dress, and how that costume is often a person's idea of what's appropriate, or maybe what might be armor, what can prepare them for some kind of catastrophe. So I love in this poem that the mother, or whoever dressed the mother, found tool in organdy to be adequate preparation for death, <laughs> or even the afterlife. And I love that the speaker's befuddled by that, too. Who put this on her? Why is she wearing this? Um, and lastly, I love the imagery of body size in this piece, that the mother is at once dumpy and little and tall and thin. And she's at her largest in the speaker's perception when she's wearing the least clothing, when she just has that simple sheet on the undertaker's slab. And then at the viewing, um, the, the speaker views the mother as diminished in that artificiality of the costume, that she's even disappearing under the fakeness of the lace. So I thought those relationships there between clothing and, and size were really interesting. Um, my poem, Atomic Woman, deals with some of the same images of clothing and size, um, mother-daughter relationships, too, though my poem handles them in a more comic booky or radioactive way than Swenson might have. Um, this borrows some of its imagery from 50s sci-fi, like Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. <laughs> Great movie, by the way. Yes, <laughs> I thought so. Atomic Woman. One, Kit. I tried to prepare... I packed a toothbrush, hygiene products. Then there was this flash broadcast on the horizon. Who wouldn't want to watch? All the girls who ducked and covered kept themselves intact. I'd packed photos of my family so I could find them again. There was still a space for something in my kit, but I couldn't decide what I'd need. Utility knife? An extra set of keys? Afterward, I suspect this body's not a safe container. It doesn't even feel like me. I feel bigger than myself, like a girl who could do anything, who would. A manual can opener? My T-length dress becomes a miniskirt. I hit the road. Two, fallout. For a while, I crush girls prettier than me, consort with ruined skyscrapers. Now I'm just asking for directions, but the tiny men seem alarmed. The tallest thing around, I'm picking up strange signals. I can't make out the words, but I can hum the tune. All this paper I have is worthless. No one recognizes the faces printed on them. There has to be something I can exchange for what I need. Everyone keeps looking at my gigantic, chubby knees. In a burned-out forest, I unpack my kit. I'm looking for something to put it back the way it was before. Who is the baby in this picture? I kind of recognize the cropped-out person holding the baby before her. What happened before that photo was taken? When I try to repack, nothing seems to fit. There are all these extra pieces. 3. Shelter When I find my way home, Mother is in the basement. She cracks open the door. Tinned meat lines the shelves. I tell her all the bad things I did were just the names of rock and roll bands, the staying out all nights, the taking what you wants, the everything buts. She doesn't believe me. Neither of us is used to me looking down to her. She is disappointed. She wants to let me in, but I can't squeeze through the bomb shelter door. I hope she has a way to open all of those cans. <laughs> That's uh, Bethany Schultz Hurst. Uh, with your poem titled Atomic Woman? That's that right. Atomic Woman. It's Response hard. to, to Mae Swenson. It's hard not to think of uh, 
Margaret Thatcher, isn't it, at this particular <laughs> moment? <laughs> Be- becomes current. <laughs> By the way, uh, Susan Gosley, Bethany Schultz-Hurst, and Jen Hawkins, three poets uh, from Pocatello, will be giving a reading. Their responses to Mae Swenson's poetry, part of a Mae Swenson centennial um, celebration, and that is today at noon and the USU Merrill Kazir Library Room 101. Let's turn to Jen Hawkins. To give give your uh, May Swenson poem and your response to it. Sure, I I just wanted to compliment Susan and Bethany. Those are wonderful. I can't wait to hear more later today. Um, one of the things I love about May Swenson is her kind of everything in the kitchen sink inventiveness and eclecticism. Uh, Alicia Ostreicher uh, praises Swenson for her absence of constraint. No topic is too taboo or mundane. No approach too radical for Swenson to try at least once. Um, the first ones in poem I ever read, which uh, was in the uh, anthology Stealing the Language, which was edited by Alicia Ostreicher, uh, is bleeding. It's a dialogue between a knife and the cut it has made. I love it because it is such a brutal, deceptively simple depiction of sadism and masochism, steely accusation and internalized blame. Of course the knife is phallic, and of course the cut is passive and prone, but neither has to represent the male and female, not explicitly. Uh, Cynthia Hogue, for uh, one, argues that bleeding is a metaphor for the Vietnam War. So Swenson is well known for her iconographs, and visually the white space, the gash running down the center of bleeding, resembles a jagged wound, or as Alicia Ostreicher has said, the psychic split that divides victim from victimizer. I'm just going to read an excerpt here. Bleeding. Stop bleeding, said the knife. I would if I could, said the cut. Stop bleeding. You make me messy with the blood. I'm sorry, said the cut. Stop, or I will sink in further, said the knife. Don't, said the cut. The knife did not say it couldn't help it, but it sank in further. If only you didn't bleed, said the knife. I wouldn't have to do this. I know, said the cut. I bleed too easily. I hate that. I... Can't help it. I wish I were a knife like you and didn't have to bleed. Too many cuts around, said the knife. They're messy. I don't know how they stand themselves. They don't, said the cut. That's enough now. Stop. Now, do you feel better now, said the knife. I feel I have to bleed to feel, I think, said the cut. I don't. I don't have to feel, said the knife, drying now, becoming shiny. So I know it's been uh, said that May Swenson is is certainly not confessional, um, but as her good friend Muriel Rukeyser has said, what would happen if one woman told the truth about her life? The world would split open. So here's a more confessional poem on my part, but I, I was thinking about uh, her iconographs. Um, a few years ago, I gave a baby up for adoption. I can't imagine feeling emptier having someone alive inside you, and suddenly, no matter how you justify it, they're gone. So here, the words in my poem form kind of a confused trail down the page. Again, like one of Swenson's iconographs. Stop gap. Almost before the stick turns baby blue, the boy is given up. I dream Tinkerbell glint and drum and pixie sticks. Blood claps against blood, like an inverted wing, and I lie and lie, I eulogize. I dig a carpet trench, bed to toilet, toilet, bed, insert, excrete, gnashing, teeth all in me. I may be digesting or dragging my yoke behind me. Incubator, floor drain, biohazard, stall, IV, bed gird, utilities. The steel is stainless. After, I stink of nurture, good mother musk, I shed relics on Kotex and Wide Rule. I take pills for the heart in my head. You, husband, will cheer me on saline. You will take me to the ocean. But there is this slur, a gristle. It is a Mobius strip, one-sided, absurd as singular water, broken water. There is this umbilical strand, taut as fish-gut fish line, strung like a gag of blue cherubs, choker beads. It is a sinker, in red skull water, and an eel, and it's hollow, and a vomit tube is me. Absence called mouth, cavity cut like woman, nothing but throat is me. You, husband, will take me to the ocean. There was a boy here, 
no more. You, dear, will fork me out of my shell. I will still be choking on my pearl. And that is uh, Jen Hawkins. The, the, what's the title of the poem? Stopgap. Stopgap. A response to uh, to Mae Swenson using some of the iconography yeah. that you said. Uh, you can hear more uh, from uh, three poets from uh, from Pocatello uh, at noon today. They're, uh, they'll read some uh, Mae Swenson poetry and their responses to, to that poetry. Uh, that is noon today, USU Merrill Kazir Library Room 101. The last event in this May Swenson Centennial um, series of uh, celebrations is on April 25th, 7 p.m. Morgan Theater of the USU Chase Fine Arts Center. The reading is free, but seating vouchers are required, and they're available at the USU Kane College of the Arts box office in the Chase Fine Arts Center, room 139B. So, Paul Crumbly, anything else you'd like to say about the uh, celebrations ongoing here? Uh, Only that uh, if you're interested in attending the April 25th event, Please uh, get over to the Chase Fine Arts Center sooner rather than later. Uh, secure a voucher. We'd like to have everyone in the Morgan Theater who'd like to be there. And uh, that reading on April 25th will feature Catherine Coles, who we will turn to with her uh, new collection, The Earth is Not Flat, in the second half of the program coming up. Um, and uh, Garrison Keeler from Prairie Home Companion. So uh, Susan Gosley, Bethany Schultz-Hurst, and Jen Hawkins, thanks so much. Thank you. Very interesting to, to hear your, your poems, your response to me, Swenson. And Paul Crumbly, thank you. Thank you. Following break, we will uh, be back with uh, Catherine Coles. Hey, did you hear your car talk last week? His grades are down. He actually <laughs> dropped out of AP history, stopped cleaning his room, and is not taking Spanish anymore. <laughs> now, I've been driving this car with this peculiar smell for about five years. Yeah. Maybe you started out stupid. Well, I might have. <laughs> right. You may have had less, less of a slide to make. <laughs> Join us for more keen yet sensitive analysis this week on Car Talk. Saturday mornings at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Support for Utah Public Radio is provided by Colgan Water of Cache Valley, family-owned and operated for more than 62 years, providing on-demand, high-purity bottled water for cooking and drinking. Hey, Colgan Man, service from the man in blue. In, online at logan.colganman.com. The Be Well Moment is made possible by the USU Department of Human Resources Wellness Program at usu.edu hr. Stress is what you feel when you have to handle more than you are used to. When you are stressed, your body responds as though you are in danger. It makes hormones that speed up your heart, make you breathe faster, and give you a burst of energy. This is called the fight-or-flight stress response. Stress is normal, but if it happens too often or lasts too long, it can have bad effects. It can be linked to headaches, upset stomach, back pain, and trouble sleeping. It can weaken your immune system, making it harder to fight off disease. You probably can't delete all stress from your life, but you can get better at managing your stress. Start a stress journal, ask for help when you need it, do some deep breathing exercises, and get some exercise. Find something that works for you and enjoy this life you've been given. This is Angela Helm for the Be Well program at Utah State University. Be well, Utah. Support for Utah Public Radio is also provided by USU's Anthropology Museum in Old Main. It's free Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, Saturdays 10 to 4. This Saturday, learn about the prehistoric life of the Great Basin Native cultures. Information is at anthromuseum.usu.edu. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. In 2010, poet Catherine Coles sailed across the Drake Passage to spend a month. The tiny Antarctic Science Station, under the auspices of the National Science Foundation's Antarctic Artists and Writers Program, The Earth is Not Flat, a collection of poems written out of that adventure, evokes the vast land seascapes as well as the fauna, and uh, she encountered along the way. She addresses not only present reality of human habitation to Antarctica, but also rich history people like uh, Shackleton, Scott, and Amundsen. And Catherine Coles uh, stays with us to talk about the Earth is uh, Not Flat. Uh, Catherine Coles, before we, we go on to uh, to your current collection, uh, anything else you'd like to say about Mae Swenson and maybe your the conversation that you've had with Mae Swenson? Well, I did want to say um, that that was a wonderful reading and conversation from the folks up in Pocatello. It was a real pleasure to hear that. And I'm wondering whether you would let me read one more short 
Swenson poem. Oh, that would be wonderful. Before we get to mine. Um, and the reason that I wanted to read this one was partly because of what Professor Crumbly was saying about Swenson and her interest in science and my connection with her interest in not only in the universe, but also in the existential questions that our presence on the earth and in the universe raises. And this is called the universe. What is it about the universe, the universe about us stretching out? We within our brains, within it, think we must unspin the laws that spin it. We think, why? Because we think, because. Because we think, we think the universe about us. But does it think the universe? Then what about? About us? If not, must there be cause in the universe? Must it have laws? And what if the universe is not about us? Then what? What is it about? And what about us? What was the title again? The Universe. The Universe. That's Mae Swenson. I wonder about that. It's it seems to me, and I you know I may be totally uninformed. You you don't as often get this connection between literature and science. And I know you've in fact you've founded the Utah Symposium in Science and, and Literature. I wonder what what's what's your impulse there. Well, uh, I think for me, um, I went through a period of time in which I was trying to figure out how to use my experience to write poems in a time when the way in which I viewed the world was not the orientation that most poems uh, and poets were taking. And I'm actually in no way opposed to confessional poetry, um, but my own life just hasn't been interesting enough to give me more than, you know, about half a book's worth of confessions to make. And and uh, my life was really much more made up of being immersed in scientific questions and questions about the nature of reality from a scientific point of view. And for me, the way I think about perception and the way I think about reality because of my background was really, really tied up in the ways in which science thinks about perception and science thinks about reality. So really from my the end of my first book on, my quest has been to incorporate that sort of hard relationship with reality and the nature of reality into my poems, which are, of course, being art, much more squishy than any scientific equation or paper would be. By the way, we're talking with Catherine Coles on this part of the program. She's a professor of literature at uh, University of Utah, former Utah Poet Laureate. She'll be giving a reading of Mae Swenson's poetry along with Garrison Keillor from Prairie Home Companion. That's April 25th, 7 p.m., Morgan Theater, USU Chase Fine Arts Center. Reading is free, but seating vouchers are required, available in the uh, Kane College of the Arts box office at the Fine Arts Center, room 139B. Uh, so this opportunity to go to Antarctica is an opportunity that most of us will not have in our lifetimes. That's correct, and even um, people who go to Antarctica for tourism most of them will not have the kind of opportunity that I had actually to live on the ice. Um, most most tourist voyages to Antarctica are on cruise ships, and uh, you spend most of your time on the ship and then take um, little forays on uh, zodiacs out to different islands or different places in Antarctica. So I had the the great privilege and delight of living for a month on the ice with scientists hanging out with them while they were doing their science. And I guess the object was that this was part of a National Science Foundation literature series, so you were going to go out there and, and, and write poems? They sent me there to write poems, yes. Yeah, I didn't know that program existed. Uh, I wonder if, if we could hear a poem now. Pardon um, me? I wonder if we could hear a poem from The, oh, yeah, the sure. Earth is Not um, Flat. I'm wondering uh, whether whether you wanted to hear the poem that's about the cover of the book, or should I start somewhere else? Yes, let's do. And you've told me that this, this is significant. In fact, I understand there was some negotiation about the title of the, the collection. Oh, boy. It took 
I think finding the title for the collection was the most difficult uh, process that we went through. And it wasn't until we actually had the cover that I was happy with the title that I had proposed that my publisher was happiest with, which is The Earth is Not Flat. There were a number of titles under consideration before then. Um, But then they presented me, and I had thought that the cover would be some old-timey map of the kind that, um, you know, says, here be monsters on the edge of the known (laughs) world. And instead they presented me with this incredibly contemporary piece, piece of art, essentially. And if you look at the cover, what you see is a flat sheet of ice, with ice-covered mountains in the background and blue sky. But laid on the ice, what you see is a number of different blue spheres of varying sizes. And uh, the interesting thing about this to me is that every single person who has seen the cover until I told them what it's actually a photograph of has assumed that these sort of surreal, mysterious blue spheres are photoshopped in that they're part of the design. Uh, And actually, this is a photograph of the South Pole when it was populated with these blue spheres that were placed there by Lita Albuquerque, who was an installation artist who was down there under the same program that I was down there under. And what she did was she worked with astronomers and geographers, a whole bunch of different people, to identify the stars that are above the South Pole in the the summer sky, which is our winter, so we're talking December. And she had these spheres manufactured in different sizes, each one of a size that corresponds with the brightness or radiance of, of one of the stars in that sky. And then she had them arrayed on the ice around the pole in such a way that at the moment of the summer solstice on December 20th, each of the spheres would be under the star whose radiance it reflects. Now, it's important to remember that what we're talking about is a night sky that nobody has ever seen because it's light 24 hours a day uh, around the summer solstice down at the South Pole. So the people, the very few people who were privileged to be there uh, when this installation was in place were were able to view a sort of negative image of this night sky that nobody on Earth has ever seen. Um, So this is my response to that work of art, which was written after, uh, after the book was completed, after the cover was on. I wrote it and shot it off to my publisher and said, can we get this into the book? Is it too late? It's called Music of the Spheres, and uh, just as a quick reminder, the idea of the music of the spheres is a very ancient one um, in in which uh, um, it was believed that the proportions of the movements of the planets and the stars formed a kind of music in the sky, music of the spheres. Bring to this particular field constant motion, Stars we never see now, even night shines. Turn them on Earth's axis as the universe does, but not exactly brilliant beyond. Watch them warble as they move, surface like everything, their playground. Turn again, just see how they go, and listen, why don't you, until some high note spirals out, a note you can name if you let yourself be moved. So much we have seen before is already gone, or was never there, and still vanished. I've often dreamed white earth that cannot be smoothed down, blue orbs spinning, I hear, behind blue eye. That's Music of the Spears by uh, Catherine Coles from The Earth Is Not Flat, latest collection uh, from her, uh, her trip to Antarctica. I wonder, uh, Catherine Coles, if you would, uh, it's on page 90. Read me another one. This this uh, stood out to me in, in terms of a, a theme that uh, seems to, to run through many of these these poems. Fixing Antarctica is what it's called. Ah, um, one of the things that happens in Antarctica with the culture is that everybody is carrying a camera all the time. <laughs> and in fact, uh, I used to joke because my camera was an iPhone. I had an, another camera with me, but I ended up carrying my only my iPhone all the time. Um, but 
among the especially among the male scientists the the real the guys who are really really involved in technology there was something that i called giant telephoto lens envy <laughs> um everyone was looking for the, the biggest camera with the longest lens this is fixing antarctica I keep taking the same photo over and over as if to say, look and look. The light shifts minute by minute and everything holds. Cormorants flight, clouds in motion, the glacier losing itself perpetually to sea, sea to sky. And so we have returned to consider what cannot be recovered. What is permanent is this moment, then this one and always slipstreaming between them, the change. It's Fixing Antarctica from uh, the, the new collection, The Earth is Not Flat, Catherine Coles. That one struck me. Uh, it seems like, I don't know, maybe I'm just not aware in my regular life, but it, uh, uh, I sort of get into this mode more in, in nature. Uh, the the mode of trying to capture. Uh, trying to capture, the, yes. Yeah, the and, moment. I think that that's true. I think that... Um, you know, we're not really aware in our daily lives of the way in which time is constantly moving us and moving us around us uh, and moving around us. There's something about nature and especially nature's beauty and how it comes to us so powerfully through our senses that reminds us uh, not only of its own eternal quality, but partly because of that eternal quality of our own temporality and temporariness. And unfortunately, we've uh, reached the end of our, our time here. The book is The Earth is Not Flat, latest collection from uh, Catherine Coles, former Utah Poet Laureate and current professor at uh, University of Utah. It's about her uh, trip to Antarctica. Well worth the read, The Earth is Not Flat. Uh, Catherine Coles, along with uh, Prairie Home Companion host Garrison Keeler, will be reading May Swenson's poems as a part of the May Swenson Centennial uh, Celebration, and that is April 25th, 7 p.m., Morgan Theater of the USU Chase Fine Arts Center. Reading is free, but seating vouchers are required, and you can get those at the USU Kane College of the Arts box office in the Fine Arts Center on the OSU campus, room 139B. And there's a reading today. Three Pocatello poets have written in response to May Swenson's work, Susan Gosley, Jen Hawkins, and Bethany Schultz-Hurst. Their reading is noon today, USU Merrill Kazir Library, room 101. Catherine Cole's a pleasure. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And uh, for producers uh, Addison Pace and uh, Danny Hayes, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks for listening today.